uh, we have a privilege, guys. We get to hear from uh, John Hawkins. And uh, so those, yeah, several of the guys have heard from John before, so they're excited about that. And John has his wife, Jan Janet's with him tonight. So Janet, stand up right there. There you go. John is the uh, founder of a ministry called uh, Leadership Edge. And uh, honestly, it is probably one of the um, best leadership development uh, groups that you will find. He is... Uh, he has continued to work with them, although he has turned over the reins to someone else now, and they're, and they're getting to run it now. John is still the face of Leadership Edge and still the uh, the one he goes around, travels, and speaks for them. But they are a uh, they are a group that honestly trains leaders not only to in leadership principles. There are some people that do that, but they actually train guys to lead out of a lifestyle of leadership to where their entire lives in every sphere of influence they have. They lead out like that, and so it's 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 an excellent ministry, and uh, they're on how many different campuses now, John? Very good night all over the place. So anyway, it's it's great ministry. So. The thing I love about John, John is a guy who lives out exactly what he's going to be talking about. I mean, he is a guy who, who uh, his, his life is, is uh, the thing that will probably encourage you more than anything when you get around him, and uh, which is one of the reasons I, I am so grateful to have him as a friend. So, John, come up here and speak to us tonight. I'll use that one. Well, um, I'd like to pray again, so let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this evening. We thank you for the amazing privilege that we have to be together tonight. And this, of all weeks, uh, Easter week, God, we bless you for what your son did for us on the cross. We pray that as tonight we talk some about having daily fellowship with you, that your spirit would be here strong amongst us, that you would speak to us through your spirit and by your word, and that you would really encourage and, and uh, bring to a new place our understanding of what it means to be in fellowship with you every day, every day. So we pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. I really don't know how to tell you all it means to me to be with you tonight. I have loved this ministry ever since it began and loved Neil and Melinda and Jeremy and the whole crew. And to get to be with you is quite an honor to me. So thank you for, uh, for the opportunity. I wanted to tell you a little bit about my life. Uh, I, this Sunday is an important day for me. I will not only celebrate Easter this Sunday, but it is my 69th birthday. And so for the first time in my whole life, my birthday and Easter are on the same day. And I'd always hoped uh, that that would happen. But 52 and a half years ago, something radically amazing happened in my life. 
I was 16 years old at the time, and I was very much not living my life for the Lord. I was lost. I was living in, in bad ways. I was hurting others around me, and I was in need of a Savior. And somehow, 52 and a half years ago, I ended up at a Christian summer camp. And my counselor told me that God loved me and wanted me, and that God wanted to use me to serve his purposes. And I couldn't believe any of that was true. I was like, how could he want me? How would it be that he could use me to serve his purposes? But somehow, I decided it must be true. And so now, 52 and a half years later, by his grace, I'm his. I have been in fellowship with him through those years. And one of the things I've learned is that every day we have an amazing opportunity to have daily fellowship with Jesus. And yet, I had to learn some things about what that means, what it looks like, uh, not just kind of how you do it, but especially what God's part is in our fellowship with him every day. And so what I'm hoping to help you with today is I'm hoping to help you to get kind of a fresh look at your daily time with the Lord, whether you call it a quiet time or a devotional or whatever you call it, and begin especially to look at that from more of a God-centered perspective than a you-centered perspective. So that's where we're going to be heading tonight. I want to give you uh, three things to think about. You can jot these down. They won't be on the screen. I want you to think about three things. The first one is a bicycle that no matter how many times you fix it, the chain keeps falling off. So you've got a bicycle, no matter how many times you fix it, the chain keeps falling off. So that's one image. Second image is a trained dog that has learned how to jump through a hoop. A trained dog that has learned how to jump through a hoop. And then the third thing is, eating a daily bowl of sawdust because you've been told that it's good for you. Eating a daily bowl of sawdust because you've been told it's good for you. Now, you're probably thinking, what in the world does that, do these images have? Like, why would you be telling me? These are really good descriptions of how my daily walk with God has been at different times through the years. Sometimes it's been like, I just can't get it fixed. Like, yeah, I was reading out of this devotional book, and then that kind of wasn't good anymore. And so then I started reading this, and I, my roommate was telling me about that they did this. And so I'm just endlessly trying to fix my devotional life with God every day. And I just can't get it fixed. It's like, it's just, not, it's just not working. I think the other one, the dog jumping through the hoops, 
my quiet times have been like that, where there's just like this meaningless hoop, and somehow God wants me to jump through it, and so I jump through it every day, and I guess I've done my thing, but it doesn't mean much to me. And then the third one, just eating that daily bowl of sawdust. You know, I know this is supposed to be good for me. I don't really know why I'm doing it, but all my Christian friends tell me that if I do this, that it's going to be good for me. So somehow, God helped me to choke down the next spoon of sawdust. Now, I want us to look at some verses. This is Psalm 90, 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Don't you love that? That's just like, that's what I want. But you'll notice in this, who's doing the initiating? God is. God has to satisfy us in the morning with his steadfast love. And as he does that, then we rejoice. Then we're glad all our days. And then another one here, Psalm 143.8. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. Again, don't, don't you just Love that. Like, God, this morning, please help me to understand again your love for me. Speak your love to me through your word. Let me hear it of your love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. I don't know about you, but I love those verses, and I know that's what I want. Forget the bicycle that I can never fix. Forget the dog jumping through the hoops. Forget the sawdust that I'm choking down. This is what I want. I want every morning to hear him tell me again that he loves me, that he wants me, that he has a place for me, that he's going to speak to me from his word and that my life has meaning and purpose. Now, I want us to kind of think about how we usually do our quiet times, our daily devotions. So I want you to just think about these questions. So like, what is it? Like if I were to ask you, tell me about your daily fellowship with God or tell me about your quiet time. Tell me about your devotional time. Like, what is it? And then, what's its purpose? Then, where does, it, where does it happen? And how does it happen? And what's its net effect? Like, over time, what difference does it make? Is it accomplishing its purpose? And here's the money question. What is God's responsibility in your daily fellowship with him, and what is yours? I'm going to say that again. 
What is God's responsibility in your daily fellowship with him? And what is yours? So many times we think about our fellowship with God as kind of like this monologue. And so we show up, we read the Bible, we talk to him, we write down notes. And he could have like died 20 years ago and we wouldn't even know it because it's all about what we do. But in those verses we just read, let's go back to them. It's looking to him. God, you satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. Or God, you speak to me in the morning of your steadfast love. It's a whole different approach than a lot of times how I've done my quiet times, where it was basically the me show of me trying to gin up fellowship with him. I've got a question here or a statement. Describe your daily fellowship with Christ speaking only of what God does and not what you do. So describe your daily fellowship with Christ speaking only of what he does and not of what you do. And a lot of times I'll ask a student this question. I'll say, okay, so describe your fellowship with God, only describe what he does. You can't say anything you do. And the, the student will kind of look kind of blank, like I've never thought of that before. <laughs> and then they'll start telling me the things they do. Well, I get out my Bible and I read and then I write something in my journal. And I'm like, no. You're telling me what you do. What does, what does God have to do? I think that for me, I have come to a place at different times in my life where I have said to God every morning, God, I can sit here, I can open the Bible, I can read the Word. What I cannot do is penetrate my heart with the word. Only you can do that. And then I'll say to him, and God, if you don't do that this morning, if you don't penetrate my heart with your word this morning, I'm not going to be in a good place. So God, please have mercy upon me. Dear Father in heaven, Please speak your word to me this morning. And he does. As I read, he speaks to me. He speaks it into my heart and mind. And he gives me the faith to know that it's true and that I can believe it and that I can build my life today around it. I have had to learn to move from a me-centered fellowship with Christ to a God-centered, God-dependent. God, if you don't show up and speak to me, I'm not going to be in a good place. You know, as we look at different stories or accounts in the Bible, I think we see some of this. In Revelation, God says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Again, who's the initiator here? It is God. God's standing at the door. God's knocking. He's wanting us to respond, but he's the initiator. Or in Luke 24, and this is the men on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. And they don't realize it as they're walking, but Jesus comes and meets them on the road to Emmaus. And they're with him, they talk with him, they're just about to start eating with him, and then right as they do it, they realize it's Jesus. And for whatever reason, Jesus disappears. But look what it says about that time that they were with him. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked? Not while we talked. It's while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And I know that's what I need. I need him to talk to me through his word and by his spirit. I need him to open up the scriptures to me every morning. I can read them. I can't penetrate my heart. And then the last one, Mary and Martha, you've probably heard this story, but now as they went on their way, Jesus entered the village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to him. What a great picture of fellowship with Christ. Christ comes into the house. She sits at his feet. And he speaks his word to her. I hope that you're kind of beginning to see that this perhaps is a different way of thinking about daily fellowship with Christ than you've thought about it. It certainly was something I had to learn, but it has made all the difference in the world because instead of the bicycle with the chain falling off or the dogs jumping through the hoop or the tasteless bowl of sawdust, it is fellowship with God where he speaks to me from his word. He penetrates my heart with it. And I'm dependent upon him. And my fellowship with him is a lot more about what he does than about what I do. Though what I do is important. So with kind of that as the basis, I just want to tell you a few things that over 52 years of quiet times I've learned. And I hope that these will be relevant to you. The first one here, the, and each of these will have a point that I'll show you in a minute. When I crashed and burned at 31. So during my 20s, I was a young man with a lot to prove. And there were certain groups of people that I wanted to think certain things about me. So I was living a very, um, I don't know, <laughs> not honoring to God kind of life, though I kind of had the reputation of being a really godly kind of guy. 
but I was postured. There were certain sets of people I wanted to think certain things about me. And so I would kind of play to them, but then just ignore God or not follow God or not be faithful in other responsibilities. And these were the early years of mine and Janet's marriage. And I was really hard to be married to because a lot of times I was not honoring Janet and our kids as I should have because I wanted so much for all these other people to think certain things about me, good things. And so at the age of 31, I crashed and burned. A dear friend of ours, a dear friend of Neil's, uh, Harold and Deborah Bullock, they had a little 18-month-old daughter who slowly, over the course of a week, died a horrible death. And I was in the hospital room the night that little Natalie, their daughter, died. And as soon as her heart went flat on the monitor, Harold and Deborah, her parents, without even talking to each other, fell to their knees at their daughter's bed and made a vow to God that if he would give them grace, they would not grow bitter and they would live the rest of their lives for him. An amazing moment. But in me, I looked at that and thought, God's not worth that. He's not worth that. He's just crushed these people. He's taken their daughter. You can tell there was a lot of twistedness in me. And I remember a week or so after that, sitting in our living room, Janet and the kids were gone. And I was sitting in a chair, and I was so depressed that I felt like I was just sinking into a hole. And I didn't know how to get out of the hole. But I was really coming apart from the seams. The thing I learned in that time was sometimes everything in your life must be shaken in order to come into deeper fellowship with God. We tend to think, well, I'll just kind of keep cruising along and I'm okay, and this is just going to be kind of easy life. And we don't realize all the things inside of us that really do need to change. And some of that change comes hard. And so one of the things I've learned through the years is that sometimes for me to grow deeper in my daily fellowship with Christ, Pretty much everything that can be shaken needs to be shaken because God wants to change me. He wants to grow me. So another thing, daily treasure versus current circumstances or agendas. So many mornings I used to wake up and if what I had to do that day was something I wanted to do, then I was going to be great. But if what I had to do that day 
was not something I wanted to do, then I was just kind of dismal and just kind of, ah, what a horrible day. This, this is horrible. Or sometimes I would wake up with a clear agenda of, boy, this, 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 and this better happen today. And if they do happen, then I'm going to be good. And if they don't happen, then my life's horrible. Nothing's good in my life. And what I had to come to realize was <laughs> every day the treasure is him. It's not the circumstances. It's not whether I get to do this or don't have to do that. It's not if only if all these things happen. I had to come to realize that he is the treasure. And if I have him, it's going to be a good day. And he has told me that I will always have him, that he will never let me go. And so I came to understand here that our circumstances and agendas must be displaced with the treasure of having Christ. Let me just say that one more time. Our circumstances and agendas, all the stuff we think we have to have, it has to be displaced with one thing. I have Jesus. I cannot lose him. He will never let me go. I will never be lost from him. This helped my days to become a lot simpler, not so much based upon circumstances or hoped-for agendas, but with the realization, I have him, I have the treasure. Okay, this is one that we've talked about a little bit already, but kind of a God-centered versus a me-centered fellowship with God. So I think if we have a, a God-centered understanding of our walk with God, our fellowship with God, then it's kind of marked upon it begins with him and we're dependent upon him. But if we have a me-centered fellowship with God, well, it begins with me and it depends upon me. And a lot of times the me-centered fellowship with God, if, if I can just jump through enough hoops, if I can just read enough word if I can just memorize enough scriptures, if I can just read enough of the great books, then I'll be okay. If we follow that too long, then our fellowship with God does turn into that bowl of sawdust where it's just us working up stuff. Again, I can sit down, I can open the Bible, I can read the words. I can't penetrate my mind, my heart, my soul. Only he can do that. You know, most mornings when I wake up, this morning included, here's what's happened overnight. I have gotten enormous, and God's evaporated. And so I wake up every morning, and all I can do is think about myself. How do I feel? How did I sleep? What do I have to do today? What are my responsibilities? What do I need to go accomplish? 
And it's just like God's not even there anymore. And I've had to learn to build my mornings to where God gets enormous again in my mind. And I become the right size. You know, his follower, I have weight, I have importance. But he's the one who's enormous. Again, that verse we saw in Psalm, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. That's our hope. He must satisfy us. Then we'll rejoice. So the thing I've learned there is my hope is that he will draw us into fellowship with him, our hope, that he will reveal himself to us, that he will speak his word to us, and fortify us to live for him today. Only he can do these things. Again, our hope is that he will draw us into fellowship with him. He will reveal himself to us. He will speak his word to us and fortify us to live for him today. Only he can do that. Only he do that. So, another thing I've learned is the whole revelation of God in Scripture versus my favorite passages. So, as a young Christian and really as a, as a growing Christian, I kind of figured out the parts of the Bible I liked the most. So, I've, I've always liked the Gospel of John, so I would kind of camp out in the Gospel of John. I've always liked the book of Philippians, so I'd kind of camp out in the book of Philippians. And I tend to like First and Second Samuel. And so I would just kind of stay in those places. And then every now and then I'd be at a conference and somebody mentioned kind of somewhere else in Scripture. And I'm like, well, maybe I should check out that. But the idea was, well, you just kind of keep reading your favorite parts over and over again. And here's what I was scared to death about. I don't know if you've seen these yet, but there's these things called read through the Bible plan, you know. And I'm telling you, I was in morbid fear of those things for decades. Like, again, a friend of Neil's and ours, Max Barnett, anytime I was with Max, he would pull out, his was printed, and he would show me like what he had read that day in the Bible. And, you know, I would kind of smile and just think, isn't that great that Max is doing that? But I'm sitting there thinking inside of me, that will kill me off. Like, to try to read the whole Bible, it's just, I can't, like, that will ensure that I, like, stop meeting with God. I just can't handle that. But about 15 years ago, somehow the Holy Spirit convinced me, you need to try that. You need to try reading through the whole Bible. And I don't know how to explain this, but I can't stop doing it now. I just read it over and over and over again. And I don't read it fast. Like right now I'm doing one year in the Old Testament and then one year in the New Testament, then one year in the Old Testament all the way through one year in the New Testament. Because it's not a race. It's not about how quickly you do. But here's what I need. Every year of my life, I need to read 
everything the Bible says about who God is. And that's primarily when I'm reading the Bible, I don't ask a lot of questions initially about, okay, what should I be doing? I get there because God wants me to get there. But when I'm reading through the Bible, the first thing I'm looking for is, what does this tell me about who he is? Because that's what I need really more than life itself, is to know him. And especially the parts of him that you don't like or that just don't fit with our modern sensitivities or sensibilities. And the parts of the Bible that really are hard to understand, and you're just like, who, who could this God be? You know, like the conquest of the promised land where thousands of people are slaughtered. Or like some of the prophecies where God's saying, I'm so mad at these people, I'm going to bash their heads against the wall. Or like the book of Job, where this good man, somehow God and, and decides to kind of have this agreement with Satan, this man is just ravaged. And then finally God shows up, and he doesn't apologize for anything. And he basically says to Job, stand up and face me like a man. And then he just kind of lays into him. And yet remarkably, at the end of that, Job says, I used to think I knew who you were. He said, now I really know. One of the best things for my spiritual life has been to read over and over and over again everything the Bible tells me about who he is, even the parts that are hard to understand and sometimes even hard to accept, and just read them over and over and over again. That has been help to my bones. So, Again, when I go to the scripture, like right now I'm reading through Isaiah. And this morning I was in Isaiah 59 and, and chapter 60. And again, the first question I'm asking isn't, what should I do? The first question I'm asking is, who is this God? Who is he? What does he like? What does he want? What are his, just what, what is he about? And then I get to, and what does he want of me? What does he want from me? So the point here is we need to ongoingly hear everything the Bible says about God. Everything. Asking him to sink these things into our hearts and our souls and our minds. Again, the, the high privilege of knowing him. And the fullest way I will come to understand him in this life is through reading everything in the Bible that tells me about who he is. Two last things. One is, my prayers are conversations between a much-loved son and his father. 
I don't know about you, but I hardly ever find Christians who feel good about their prayer lives. Like, like if you ask a Christian, how do you feel about your prayer life? Everybody feels bad about it. Like, well, I'm not praying enough, or I'm not praying about this, or I don't pray long enough. You know, it seems like prayer, at least for me, can kind of become like a guilt trip, and you're just never doing enough. And what I've had to come to understand is however you do prayer, however, whatever prayer plan you have, whatever structure you have, it can never be more complicated than a much-loved son talking with his father or a much-loved daughter talking to her father. It's never more complicated than that. So it's good to have a prayer plan. It's good to have a way, and I, I do this, to pray for a lot of different things during the week. But, but the bottom line is, is it a much-loved son or daughter talking to their father who dearly and deeply loves them? I've also come to believe that really any prayer we pray is just some version of the first three lines of the Lord's Prayer. My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So whether we're praying for our adult children or our grandchildren, whether we're praying for a Christian challenge at USC, or whatever we're praying. Basically what we're praying is, in that situation, God, may your name be hallowed. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So however you think of and plan your prayers, it should never be more complicated never be more complicated nor more complex than a much-loved child talking with his father. And I just say amen to that. That is exactly right. And so the motivation is talk to your father. He loves you dearly. And he wants to talk back to you through his word and by his spirit. So in your fellowship with him, talk with him, and listen when he speaks to you. And let it never be any more complicated than a much-loved child talking to their father. Last thing is using the prayers of those who have gone before us. Um, and let's see, let's go to this. You guys know what to do with that. What do you do with that? Okay, like take a picture so you can get this document. Y'all, yeah. my generation has no idea with what you do with those things. But Okay, so I'm going to give you a minute to pull these up. I don't even know what those are called. Okay, QR code. Okay, is everybody getting it? 
Okay, as you're doing that, I'm going to go back to the point. Using the prayers of those who have gone before, sometimes I don't know what to say to him. I don't know how to put my words together to him. And one of the things I've learned that has come to mean so very much to me is reading the prayers of Christians that have gone on before me. And how did they pray? What did they say? And so the thing I've learned here is sometimes these prayers give me words to say to God that I want to say and that I need to say, but I'm not clear in how to say. So the document that you just got through your QR scan is a collection of prayers from Christians who have gone on before us. I think there is one by John Piper, and he's still on earth, but all the others are Christians who have gone before. And I use these in my quiet times at different times. Like, let's look at the very first one. It's by Elizabeth Elliot. Many of you maybe have heard of her and her husband, Jim Elliot, who are missionaries uh, in Ecuador. But this prayer by Elizabeth, she says, Loving Lord and Heavenly Father, I offer up today all that I am, all that I have, all that I do, and all that I suffer to be yours today and yours forever. Give me grace, Lord, to do all that I know of your holy will. Purify my heart. Sanctify my thinking. Correct my desires. Teach me in all of today's work and trouble and joy to respond with honest praise, simple trust, and instant obedience that my life may be in truth a living sacrifice. By the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, my Master and my all. A lot of mornings, I don't know how to talk like that. I don't know how to put it so well like that. But when I can read Elizabeth's prayer and that prayer become the prayer of my heart and I say those things to my father with all of my heart, it makes a difference. Let's skip down to, I guess, page two, John Piper. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and while you tarry, keep us free from the sin of this world. Oh, make our little lives count for the glory of your name and for the fame of your Father. Rivet our attention to your cross. Infuse our affections to yourself. Waken our compassion for all who suffer, especially those who are rushing toward everlasting misery because of unbelief. So open our mouths and open our hands and open our wallets while we have breath and make us the most radically loving people on earth for the joy of all peoples and the renown 
of your name. Amen. Now, maybe you can wake up in the morning and pray like that. Maybe you've just got that gene or whatever it is. I don't. But I know where to find it. I can find it from my brothers and sisters who have gone before me, who have put in such wonderful words what I need to say and what I long to say, what I ought to say to him. So, the last week of July, this summer, It'll be 53 years. It was the last week of July that by God's grace, I came to faith in Christ 53 years ago. I still can hardly believe it. And one of the most amazing things about 53 years of being a Christian is him letting me know who he is. Him revealing himself to me every day by his word and his spirit and making me into the man that by his grace I am today. I don't know hardly any of you guys But I know I do hope for every one of you that one of the best parts of your life now and for the rest of your life is that you know him by his grace. Let's pray. God, you are absolutely a God of mercy. And my life is a testimony of that. God, please take these cold sticks in our heart and set them on fire. And let us know you and live out the days of our lives out of that fellowship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And for your glory, amen.